Okay, and we're live. Hello and welcome back to the Daily Bible Reading Show. We're picking up from Acts chapter 8. This is Acts chapter 8. There is this, um, what do you call it, rubbish truck outside my window. Just waiting for it to do its thing. Yes, picking up the recyclables. I'll just make a start. Uh, yeah, okay, Acts chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So there's this huge, 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 huge uh, explosion of persecution in the church in Jerusalem. And what kicks this off, what triggers it, is the death of Stephen. You know, Stephen is this deacon, this young guy in church who is very enthusiastic about sharing the gospel, but gets him killed. And because of his death, it causes um, more persecution to happen. I guess it's kind of like sparks the hatred that people have for these Christians who've been uh, growing and growing in number up to this point of time, almost prospering. Uh, but this is the first wave of this serious kickback against this growth. And Acts 1.8 is kind of like a prediction of what happens in Acts 8.1. So remember Acts 1.8 is Jesus giving that promise that you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea is married to the ends of the earth. Jesus says you're going to be going outwards, outwards from the HQ, from the center of Israel, Jerusalem. You'll be going outwards. You're going to bring the gospel with you. But how's that going to happen? How's that mission? How's that growth going to happen? Well, Acts 8 verse 1 is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8. It happens through persecution. It causes this great persecution, verse 1, against the church, and they were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So it's the beginning of this fulfillment of Jesus. You think of how God will fulfill his promises to us, you know, bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, cause many people to come to know him and respond to him. It might happen through this very unexpected way, um, through persecution. So I just got a, got a text um, from a friend. Oh, friend, friend is in London. Uh, sorry, I can't respond to it now. I'll have a look at it right now. Um, hello, Calvin, are you in Cambridge? Um, oh, yeah, he hello, hi. Um, if if that's you, just... Uh, yes, definitely. Um, oh, okay, they're in London, and they'd love to catch up. Oh, I could come to London as well. Okay, all right. <laughs> Uh, I'll finish this stream and I'll continue uh, replying to that message. But thank you for contacting me. And today is a perfect day to catch up. Yeah. Uh, for some friends, old church friends from Singapore are in town. That's so great. Thank you for getting in touch. Okay, let's pick up here uh, from, Acts, uh, from Acts 8 verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy 
in that city. So it picks up from the second guy named in that list of deacons. Uh, so back in chapter 7, uh, tra- sorry, chapter 6, there was a list of people who were chosen to distribute food. There's a problem with the distribution of food, especially amongst the widows. And there was a list of seven godly men. The first was Stephen and he was killed. But the second was this guy named Philip. And now Philip continues on that work. Interesting how the unexpected people are the ones who do this important work. They are used by God to do this important work of preaching the gospel. Not the apostles. The apostles are stuck in Jerusalem. But the people who go out, the people who are sent out, are these ma-zai, uh, you know, they're, they're not the main guys, but they're the faithful guys whom God uses to bring about his word. And he is one of those who's kicked out of his own city. And what he does is he goes to the city of Samaria and proclaim to them the Christ. He preaches Jesus to people who um, are kind of like half-cousins, the Samaritans are half-cousins of the Jews, but because they're half-cousins, they are not really part of the same team. You know, sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. And so uh, people have avoided mixing with the Samaritans. But because he's forced to, he's gone there, he just it's just a natural thing. You know, he starts telling them, you know, I'm a Christian, this is Jesus, have you heard about him? And people respond, verse 6, the crowds with one accord pay attention to what was being said. They heard him, they saw the signs, so God was also using him to display these miracles that authenticated the messenger. Remember, these miracles are always the same miracles that Jesus did that authenticate the messengers whom Jesus sends. So the miracles are not standalone things. You don't just look at the miracles. You're meant to look at the miracles and go, aha, the messenger is saying something about Jesus that I need to hear. So picking up from verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. It's a competition. This guy named Simon, he said, I'm a big deal. But then here comes Philip, you know, proclaiming Jesus. Verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his uh, magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news. So previously, it used to be all the attention was focused on this guy named Simon. He used to do these magic tricks. Verse 9, he practiced magic. And they connected him with God. This is a man called Great because he must be from God. This is the power of God. Verse 10, it says. But now Philip comes. The real thing comes. And they redirect all that attention to Philip. What's going to happen? I think a lot of envy and jealousy is going to happen. Verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the Philip of God, sorry, about the kingdom of God, <laughs> and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Uh, Simon was amazed at the real thing when he saw Philip perform the miracles that he did. Now, this is already highlighting the danger of just looking at the miracles and not focusing at what the miracles are pointing to, to the message itself. So he's just so enamored with these amazing things that Philip is doing as an evangelist. 
Verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were baptized, they heard about Jesus, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And what takes for that to happen uh, is for the apostles to go and investigate. You're wondering what's going on in this city that we didn't plan this church, we didn't send this guy. Philip went there on his own, he preached to them, and they became Christians. And they're naturally suspicious, especially when they go there and they find out that these people have not received the Holy Spirit. So what happens, verse 17, then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit meaning the hands of the apostles, Peter and John, after praying for them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. So, uh, very unexpected thing happens. You know, this guy who was previously so amazed by Philip is now amazed by Peter and John. And he's amazed because he sees them laying their hands and giving the Spirit through the laying on of their hands. He says, I want that power as well. He says, I'll pay you to have this power. And, and Simon looks straight at him and he said to him, may your silver perish with you. It means, may this money you give me be destroyed. May you be destroyed with that as well. Why? Because you thought you could get this gift with money. Shows how dangerous it is. Even though you're so sincere that you think that you can buy this gift called salvation. You can even buy the presence and the power of God through the Holy Spirit. It shows not just that you're using money in the wrong way, but that your heart is in the wrong place. You actually don't desire God, you desire His power. You don't actually desire salvation, you desire attention. And the money, is, the money is just an indication of where your heart is. The money shows where your attention is. It's on the power. It's on getting that gain and attention, that popularity. And what he says um, to, uh, to him, it, uh, verse 21, You have neither part in this matter, for your heart is not right with God. And it's interesting that he's talking here about salvation, but also of ministry, this matter, this doing, this, this ministry that they're doing, that here is someone who is confusing ministry with salvation. You know, they think that um, ministry is a means to salvation. And, and this is where it's very, very convicting. You think of this guy named Simon. He's greedy with money, he's trying to get attention, and you naturally, naturally think of like prosperity preachers, people who use their position to gain money, <laughs> who use their position to gain attention. But 
it's a subtle difference. This is, pe- this is someone who's using money to gain their attention. He, he, you see, the money is the means. He's willing to give away that money to get the attention. He's not using the attention to get money. And it's not at all similar, dissimilar from someone using ministry to gain God. You know, you're trying to use, you're getting the wrong end of the stick. You know, you're trying to you value the thing that God has given you as a ministry. It might be even preaching, maybe, you know, teaching people the Bible. But you're using that as, you're trying to save people so that you get to do this. And it's a very, very dangerous thing to think of ministry itself as the end of your salvation. Oh, now I get to do the thing that I used to do in my corporate job, but in a ministry setting. Now, instead of working to be, I don't know, popular in the workplace or in media, I'm going to be popular in church. I'm going to use church as a way to get myself elevated, myself, you know, whatever it is. And it's a, and I think the telling point is not when someone is popular, when someone has this attention, but when they lose it, like, 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 like Simon. You see, Simon used to have this position, but then he lost it. And now he finds the second chance through ministry. And as someone who maybe might have had their attention previously in a previous life doing something else that got him, uh, his name recognized, everyone thought he was the hot stuff, but now he lost it. And now he's trying to regain it through ministry. He's trying to do it through the church. He's trying to do it through, you know, through giving the Holy Spirit, praying for people. And there's something very sinister about that, but there's also something very depraved and worrying about that because Simon does not see it. That's the thing. That's the thing. We, it's easy to point it out towards other people, but you don't see it when it's happening to you. And that's why when I think when, when Peter says to him, you perish with your money, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, may God judge you. Uh, you have neither part in this ministry. And he says, verse 22, repent and pray to the Lord that you may be forgiven. He's genuinely shocked, I think. And he says, pray for me. <laughs> pray for me that this will not happen to me. And the story ends there. It's so shocking. It doesn't say whether he's saved. It doesn't say whether even Peter prayed for him. But it's interesting as well that Peter says, you need to pray. And Simon says, you pray for me. And it maybe shows, it's almost like a hint that maybe he himself doesn't have this genuine relationship with God. That he's always asking other people to do stuff for him. That he doesn't realize that he have, has this access with God. It's all superficial. It's all external. Um, yeah, I said a lot about that. Just one more thing I just want to mention about the giving of the Holy Spirit. Um, now, this giving of the Holy Spirit at this point of time, you wonder, why is it that these Samaritans receive the gospel, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit? And it has to take the apostles to cause the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. I think... In this case, the Holy Spirit, the falling of the Holy Spirit serves as a marker for how the gospel is going out into the world. It serves as a marker of the fulfillment of the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. That it would go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we saw it last in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is given there in Jerusalem to the believers. Now the Holy Spirit is given here to the believers in Samaria to kind of authenticate that this is the real thing kind of say that yes this is actually god's plan because that's why philip that's why sorry peter and john are going there they're quite going to check out you know is this actually something that should be happen we didn't authorize this you know maybe this is something that god didn't want to happen but no 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 god pours out his spirit 
to verify to Peter and John to say that, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is what is going to happen. The gospel is going to go forth. It's not just going to stay in your church. It's going to go out to the world. It's going to result in other people, other churches being planted and God's kingdom growing and growing and growing. So as a result, verse 25, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villagers of the Samaritans. So up to this point, they never did this. But because Peter and John are convinced, they saw the Holy Spirit fall on the Samaritans, they go, okay, all right, this is a good thing. So they start preaching the gospel to these outsiders. And more Samaritans now start believing and hearing and responding to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just got another message. Um, ah, okay, all right. Um, yeah, um, they're asking me whether Cambridge is worth visiting for a day. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Definitely, definitely, uh, I can show you around as well. Only uh, one hour by train from King's Cross. Please do come and let me know when you do. I'm free all day. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I hope I hope my friends come. I hope you get to see them again. Uh, verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over, join this chariot, so it, it just no. He, Philip is so in tune with the spirit. The spirit goes to the says go to the desert road. Doesn't say what to do, but it says just go there. He goes. He says go to that chariot and he goes there. And he, and 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 Philip is just so in tune, but also responsive to the spirit. He doesn't quite know everything that's happening, but just that prompting and just that obedience that you see in Philip. I think it shows this relationship that he has, that God is using to you know, bring the gospel to unexpected people, this Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, um, uh, he was reading Isaiah verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over, join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, sit in the chariot, you know, in the horse, and they're reading Isaiah together. And Philip is doing Bible study with this Ethiopian eunuch. And it's just worth saying that he is a foreigner and he is um, unclean, um, unworthy, what's, what's it? disqualified, disqualified from joining the worship of the people of God because being a eunuch means you've performed a procedure that has disqualified you from being part of the people of God. And so he's watching from afar. He goes all the way to Jerusalem. He's this very, very powerful guy. You know, he looks after the treasury. He's like the prime minister. He's like the minister of affairs, minister of treasury, of uh, the queen of, uh, of, of Candace, you know, um, and, and queen of Ethiopians. And so he's traveled all this way to come to the church and he just stands out outside the church. He's not allowed in. But, you know, he gets everything. He gets his Bible, this scroll, really, really expensive thing, but he does not understand it. And he's reading it aloud. <laughs> can you imagine this? In his limousine, he's reading it aloud and Philip can hear him from the outside. He says, do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what this is about? He says, 
I don't know. No one's told me. You know, how can I? I? I want to know this, but I need someone to explain it to me. And you know, the Spirit brings Philip all this way, all this way to meet this important person to do Bible study, not to do miracles. You know, it's a miracle that he's there, but to do Bible study, you help him to see, understand what God is saying to him in the book of Isaiah. So now the passage of scripture that he was reading was like this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And for a eunuch, you know, a eunuch is someone who can't have kids, you know, ends with him, his generation ends with him. He's reading about someone who is also the last of his generation, he's being killed. And so verse 33 says, who can describe his generation? You know, what kind of family he's going to have? You know, because he, he, it dies with him and he's denied justice and it's, it's, he's like a lamb that's being slaughtered, like an animal that's being killed. You know, his life isn't worth anything in the eyes of the people who are killing him. And so he's naturally curious, who is this talking about? Who is, who is this person that God is commending in his word in the book of Isaiah? Verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say about himself, or is it someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And it's him evangelizing and telling, Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about how he died, and therefore we are now, his generation, how we receive his life. Let me tell you about the cross. Let me tell you about how God gives us life through his death. But he starts, he says there, with this scripture. You know, so confident is he that this Old Testament scripture talks about Jesus, you know, written like 400 years before this. So confident that, you know, uh, that he's able to speak through what, to wh wherever that person is to bring him to Jesus, that he's able to effectively point this eunuch, this new believer to Jesus in a way that really brings the scripture alive. Uh, by the way, I teach on this thing called the Philip Project. This preparation is all for the Philip Project. And it, it, it's really just, it comes from here. You know, it's this guy named Philip. That's, that's why his name like this. It's this guy who is led by the Spirit to share about the Word of God with people who are, in a sense, outside, outside the people of God. You want people to be able to think big when it comes to who can I tell? Who can I tell the gospel to? And Philip really is almost such a good model to be thinking bigger than just our usual circle of friends. To think bigger when it comes to the Bible, that all the Bible points to Jesus. Yeah, so that's why it's called the Philip Project. That's why I'm doing this. This is part of the Philip Project. It's part of my preparation. Um, verse 36, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He's so eager. <laughs> I say, right now, you know, I understand that I need to repent. I need to turn to Jesus. I want to be a Christian right now. What's stopping me? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch, eunuch saw him no more. Miraculous, just... <laughs> next, next, next stop. You know, he it just reinforces that he was just there for him. Spirit brought him all the way just for that encounter. He's become a believer, and 
he's gone off. Gone off. That, he's done his job. That's all he needed to do to show him that Jesus is here in his word and he's a real Christian. And it, it kind of reinforces the fact that uh, he is a real Christian because Philip is taken away, because it's, it's done before his eyes, that he doesn't need anything more. He knows everything he needs to know because he knows Jesus and Jesus will unlock everything that he needs to know to live for Jesus going forward. Um, and he saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Yeah, and But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns, all the towns, until he came to Caesarea. So we end there. This is Acts chapter 8. Really interesting, isn't it? Just tracking, tracking about how the gospel goes forth. It starts in Jerusalem, doing very well, huge church. You know, you might be in a huge church that's doing very well, very, very bright, but God hits you with COVID. <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do next? The natural thing is, I want to rebuild my church. I want to get everyone, we need to get everyone back so that we can, we can do that gospel work again. Maybe maybe that isn't God's, God's plan. Maybe what God wants you to do is to see that God has brought about this incident, this tragedy, maybe even this persecution for you to go out. And we see this going out in a way that even surprises the apostles. The apostles go all the way to Samaria to check, hey, is this the right thing to be doing? <laughs> Should we really be preaching to these people? So even the leaders need convincing that God wants them to go outside the walls of their church to preach the gospel. But, you know, God confirms it through the giving of the Holy Spirit. There are wrong motives, of course. You know, people like Simon, you know, and he, he, he misunderstands it. But And there is some rebuke happening there. There needs to be some correction. It doesn't mean that everything is rosy, everything is perfect, but it is still of God's. And the apostles leave doing what Philip is doing. They leave preaching the gospel to people outside of their church. They preach to people in Samaria. But it was still tracking this with Philip. It doesn't just stop there. So it begins in Jerusalem, all these Jews stops in Samaria, all these half-Jews, now he goes to the Ethiopian, someone who is a non-Jew, someone who is outside the community, who should not even be in church. God sends him all the way there to preach to one person, one guy, this one guy, to preach to him the gospel, point him to Jesus, get him baptized. And it just shows the value of the Bible in helping us to do this, shows the value of how one person, God is willing to send you all the way just to help that one person come to faith. You know, not maybe even to plant that big church, not even to start a huge ministry, but maybe to make that one stop, to have that one conversation, to have that one person come to see Jesus in, 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 in the Bible and understand what it means for him to die for us on the cross. And it, it's, it's, it's a pattern, I think a pattern that continues on to this day, that you know, the gospel should almost push us outwards, out of our comfort zone, bring us to speak it to other people whom we are, not maybe expecting to speak to and help them to see Jesus in his word. Uh, and again, I'm preparing this for the Philip Project, so I'm really excited to be reading this today, to be reading about how Philip, a real person, you know, almost sets up this model for ministry. And I'm so glad to be involved in a ministry that helps me, you know, emulate this model. You know, we are not preaching, we are not teaching people who already you know, have all these wonderful resources of uh, ministry in their own church. You know, the, um, one of many wonderful churches here in Cambridge, but not everyone has that resource. We want to bring it outwards. We want to bring it to people who then bring it back home, be able to teach other people the gospel. But they need to understand this confidence for themselves. They need to know that they can see Jesus in his word. They can speak Jesus to their friends, and God will use them to bring the gospel to the ends of the world. 
Okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to say hello to my friend, uh, maybe hopefully meet up with them. And thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me for this episode. Take care. God bless. Bye.